Thank you, Dr. Randy. I appreciate that. And it is good to know that uh, everyone is out there ready to worship on this Lord's Day, this Mother's Day. And I would like to say uh, to all the mothers out there, uh, just as Pastor Clay said, Happy Mother's Day. We appreciate you. And I tell you what, while you're getting your Bibles ready for Galatians, what, if, if your mother is with you there in the living room, wherever, man, why don't you just right now just get up, go to her, and tell her you love her, give her a big Mother's Day hug, and just do that, and then meet me back at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, the scripture that uh, Dr. Randy just read. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Have fellowship with your mother there. Okay? You ready? All right. That's enough fellowship. Galatians chapter 5. Next week, or the week after that, we are going to be starting um, our series going through each fruit of the Spirit. Um, but before we do that, I, I just want to hit Galatians chapter 5 just to set the context of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember last week, we flew at about 30,000 feet. We looked at the whole book of Galatians. Today, we're going to come down a little bit, uh, about 20,000 feet, and look at the fifth chapter of Galatians. And then in the next several weeks, probably taking us probably through most of the summer, we're going to look at each fruit of the Spirit of God. Now, whenever you read the New Testament epistles, you, you quickly realize that the early churches struggled with the same issues that we struggle with as, as churches in 2020. Now, they lived in a different time, and there were different, different cultural nuances, but the problems were basically the same. And one of the issues that the churches of Galatia struggle with, that we struggle with in America, is knowing the difference between unity and uniformity. Knowing the difference between unity and uniformity in the body of Christ. Uh, many times we think of unity um, when a group of people um, have the same opinion, have the same practices, have the same preferences. Um, that's not unity. That's uniformity. Uniformity is when a group of people have the same uh, thinking, the same practice, the same behavior. Everything is the same. You know, whatever I think of uniformity, I think of a uniform. A uniform, everybody um, in a certain group of people, uh, if they're wearing a uniform, they're wearing the same uniform. Everybody is exactly dressed the same way. That's uniformity. And what threatens uniformity um, are differences of opinions, are preferences or disagreements. Unity, on the other hand, um, is a group of people that have differences. Uh, they have differences of opinions. They have disagreements, but yet they retain the same mission, the same purpose, the same spirit, and the same mind, and the same goal. Do you see the difference between the two? It's important that we as Christians understand the difference between unity and uniformity. We think that unity means no differences. But brothers and sisters, we can be unified and have differences of opinions. We can be unified and have different preferences about different things. We can have differences of opinions. But here's the problem. The problem comes is when we allow our preferences to become prerequisites for fellowship. Does that make sense? The problem is, is when we allow our preferences and our opinions to become prerequisites for fellowship and for community. And those preferences are many. Um, I have seen churches divide over the issue of homeschooling. 
I've seen churches divide, and so have you, or have heard of churches divide, over music preferences. And it's okay to have preferences, but we shouldn't divide over preferences. I've seen uh, churches divide over how people should dress. Um, I've seen churches divide over fellowship meals. I know of a church that at one time, they had one long um, line of tables with um, with food that was clean, and on the other side of the room they had a line of tables, um, you know, that were kind of unclean food. And now it's okay to have, you know, the, the more tables you have with food on it, the better off I am. Amen, amen. But the problem was their hearts were far from each other. They let the issue of eating pork and other things divide the body. But just remember that. The problem is when our preferences become prerequisites for fellowship and for community. And if you try to build unity in the body of Christ based on preferences and opinions rather than the Word of God, you're going to have disunity all day long. And this is what the Apostle Paul was facing in the church of Galatia. Um, There were some teachers that came into the province of Galatia And they began to lay down a blanket of uniformity over the unity of the churches in that province. You see, in the early churches, they struggled to learn the difference between unity and uniformity. When the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ was preached beyond Jerusalem, um, and, and people other than the Israelite community started coming to Christ and were being saved, cultures clashed. That's why we have the book of Galatians. Now we have to understand, we have to be sensitive to the fact that for centuries, the laws of Moses and the stories of God's redemptive work had shaped the nation of Israel. After the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, Abraham's descendants shared common dietary restrictions. They shared common ceremonies. They they shared uh, common standards of cleanliness and of circumcision and of fellowship. And like we said last week, I just said just a moment ago, but when the Gentiles started to join God's community through the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that uniformity was threatened. Because what is God doing? God is bringing uh, to Himself people of every tribe and of every nation and of every tongue and of every culture. And some of these Jewish Christians insisted that these new believers, these Gentile believers be required to keep the same ceremonies and the same rituals. But in spite of this rich heritage that the Israelites had, and it is a rich, deep heritage, Paul takes strong opposition to the teaching of the false Judaizers. He was against using circumcision, and he was against dietary restrictions as prerequisites for salvation as prerequisites for people coming into the family of God, as prerequisites for table fellowship. Why? It's because it created a false barrier. There was absolutely no need for these preferences and opinions to create a false barrier between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. It was an absolutely false barrier. Not only that, but it contradicted the truth of the Gospel. It contradicted the truth of the Gospel. And there was absolutely no room for the work of the Holy Spirit. It just absolutely pushed out and quenched the work of the Holy Spirit. And there was a lack of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and self-control. 
And so today I just want to dive a little bit deeper into Galatians chapter 5 and just take a closer look at the context of the fruit of the Spirit. Now in chapter 5, it can be divided up into two sections. The first section, verses 1 through 15, Paul keeps up his argument against legalism. And he tenaciously pleads for the churches of Galatia to hold on to the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. That's the first section. The second section is verses 6 through 25. And this is where the Apostle Paul implores the Galatian churches to walk by the Spirit of God. Not by the flesh, not by the law, but walk by the Spirit of God. And if we walk by the Spirit of God, you know, our lives will be pleasing to God and we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit will produce it in us. And so let's just look at those two sections quickly this morning. In verses 1-15, through 15, I'm not going to read those again, but Paul is telling the churches of Galatia to stand firm in their freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. Now keep that in mind. And there are three things under this point that we need to put in our backpacks this morning. Stand firm in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. In verse number 1, Paul tells us that true freedom, or the freedom that we have, comes from Jesus Christ. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why does Paul tell the churches of Galatia to stand firm in the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ? It's because Jesus Christ is the only person that can set us free. And so why should we uh, stand firm in the freedom of Jesus Christ? Because He sets us free from the law's covenant. We talked about this last week. He sets us free from sin. Aren't you glad that He sets us free from sin? He sets us free from the power of Satan. He sets us free from the opinions and the preferences of other people. As spiritual as they may be, He sets us free from those things. And Paul tells us in verse number 1, he says, stand fast in this freedom. And what that means is plant your feet, dig in, and hold the line. Don't go back to the legalism. Uh, don't go back to the sin. Don't go back to the legalism in which you used to live. Don't put that yoke or that burden back around your neck. Stand firm in the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, whenever I read uh, verse 1, my mind goes to the movie Braveheart. For whatever reason, to the movie Braveheart. And it's one scene in the movie Braveheart where the Scots are lined up on the battlefield and they're facing the English And I know some of y'all are going to text me that I'm going to get some of this wrong. Just don't text me, all right? And so they're facing the English, and 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 uh, William Wallace, Mel Gibson, is on his horse and he's riding down the line of the Scots. And man, he's giving this glorious speech and, and he yells "freedom" out really, really loud. But what he is telling the Scots is, "Hold the line, hold the line against the bondage of the English." If you don't hold the line, you will fall back into bondage. In order to live free, you've got to stand firm. In order to live free, you have to resist. And what the Holy Spirit is telling us today, church, is that we need to understand that the Lord Jesus brings us freedom. True freedom. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ brought us freedom, and He brought us freedom from the law. Jesus Christ perfectly kept the law for us. He, uh, he has gained us freedom from the enemy. Satan is a defeated foe. Aren't you glad of that? 
He has set us free from the bondage of sin. He paid the perfect penalty for my sin and your sin. Um, he, he robbed death in the grave of, of victory. And so Jesus Christ has set us free. And Paul said, man, listen, don't go back and get under the, 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 the yoke of the law and of legalism. Jesus Christ is the one that sets you free. The second thing we see in verses 1 through 15 is that Jesus brings freedom, but legalism brings bondage. Jesus brings freedom, but legalism brings bondage. And if we rely on works, if we rely on the law for righteousness, three things happen. Three things happen. I want you to look in verse number 2. It says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. And so the first thing, the first bit of bondage that, that Paul identifies in this text is, is if you put yourself back under the yoke of the law, if you put yourself back under the yoke of, le- of legalism, Christ is of no advantage to you. Those are stark terms. And what Paul is saying is that if, if, you, if you rely on works for righteousness, if you rely on the law for righteousness, the atoning sacrifice is of no benefit to you. No benefit at all. Um, the, the laws are of no benefit. The ceremonies are of no benefit. The rituals, I mean, nothing, you know, there's no benefit. And what was the problem was the legalist thought that they could take Jesus in one hand and they could have a law relationship with God in the other hand. And whenever you do that, it cancels each other out. Why? It's because it's incompatible. It's incompatible. And so when you put yourself under the yoke of the law and of legalism, Christ is of no advantage. Listen to what John Calvin said. John Calvin said, whoever wants to have a half Christ loses the whole. Let me repeat that again. Whoever wants to have a half Christ loses the whole. You can't hold on to Jesus in one hand while trying to have a law relationship with God on the other hand. They're incompatible. And that's what happens whenever we bring ourselves under the yoke of the law. The second thing that happens in verse number 3 is we are obligated to keep the whole law. It says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And so if we choose to adhere to one law, like circumcision, or any other laws of dietary restrictions, then we have to keep the whole law. We have to be absolutely perfect. And here is what's scary about that. Listen closely. There is, there is no amount of goodness. Listen closely. There is no amount of goodness that can make, make up for one act of disobedience. There is, not, there is no amount of goodness that makes up for one act of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, if we adhere to one law for salvation and righteousness, we have to adhere to the entire law. And no amount of goodness can make up for one act of disobedience. What if you got pulled over for speeding? What if today, you know, after you worshipped, you went somewhere and you got pulled over for speeding and the, the policeman came to your window and he said you were going 100 miles an hour in a 15 mile an hour zone, you know, and then you started saying, yeah, but I'm a good father. You know, I, I'm a good spouse. I pay my taxes. What's the policeman going to do? 
he's going to write you a ticket. He might take you to jail for doing 115, right? But he's going to write you a ticket. Because there is no amount of goodness that can make up for one act of disobedience. You've got to obey them all. You're obligated to keep the whole law. And number three, it creates burdens on those around us. It creates burdens on those around us. In verse number seven, I'm going to read seven, eight, and nine, and you read along with me. Paul writes, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now what Paul's doing here, he's given an illustration of a batch of dough and of yeast. And Paul is saying if you put a little yeast, just a little bit of yeast, and a whole batch of dough, it's going, that little bit of yeast is going to affect the whole batch of dough. In fact, it will affect all of it. And Paul is, is teaching us that if we let just a little bit of legalism get into the church, if we let a little bit of legalism get into our own lives, it's going to affect the whole church and it's going to affect our entire lives. And let me just give you one illustration from that. People love or they want to work for their salvation. That's the stumbling block of the gospel. Man, people love and they want to work for their salvation, but we know that the gospel teaches us that we can't work for our salvation. That's what Paul's talking about in the whole letter to the Galatian churches. But people love it. Why? It's because it appeals to our self-righteousness. It feeds our pride. It makes us haughty. If we believe that we have worked for our salvation, that we have attained a righteousness you know, on our own accord, but in the end we know that it makes us miserable. It leads to misery. It leads to bondage. And that is why Paul is warning us, be very, very careful about bringing yourself and your neck back under the yoke of the law and of legalism. Because it will affect your whole life. It will affect the community of Christ. And Paul was so adamant against legalism. He was so adamantly against bringing ourselves back under the yoke of the law that he said something very, very provocative in verse number 12. I don't know if you caught this the last two Sundays uh, whenever Dr. Ronecker and Dr. Butler read this, but this is a very one of the most provocative statements that Paul ever makes in the epistles. He says, I wish those who unsettle you, those who are preaching the false gospel, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You know what Paul is referring to there? He's referring to castration. And Paul is basically saying, he's saying this, you know, if circumcision makes you righteous, then why don't you just go, go the whole way and just castrate yourself? And the Galatian churches knew what Paul was talking about because the Phrygian cults, um, their priests were castrated because they thought it made them spiritual. And that's what Paul is saying. If, if cutting will make you righteous, then why don't you do like the pagan priests and go all the way? Go all the way. But Paul is saying that it gains us nothing. It doesn't set us free, but it puts us in bondage. And then the third thing is freedom produces love. Jesus produces freedom. Legalism produces bondage. And then thirdly, freedom produces love. It produces love. 
I want us to read in verses 13 through 15. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I believe what's happening here is Paul is probably answering uh, some people who were um, concerned that all the freedom about, all this talk about freedom in Christ and of grace and so forth and so on would give people a license to sin. And I believe Paul is answering um, th- that contention. And Paul is saying, no, 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 listen. Freedom in Christ does not produce a license to sin. It does not produce a life that just follows the desires of the flesh. No, freedom in Christ should produce a love for God. Now, under legalism, we obey God out of fear. But when we are free in Christ, we obey God out of love. And not only does should it, freedom in Christ produce love for God, but it should also produce love for other people. We don't use our freedom to fight. We don't use our freedom to condescend to other people. We serve one another in love. We don't serve other people because they fit our preferences. We don't serve other people because they do what we want them to do. No, we serve them out of love despite our differences, despite our different opinions. And so Paul is telling us in this first section, number one, that Christ produces freedom that legalism produces bondage. And this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ produces love for each other. Or it says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now quickly, let's just hit the last section this morning. Paul tells us in verses 1-15 through to stand firm in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And in verses 16 through 25, he encourages, he implores us to walk in the Spirit of God. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why, Paul? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. And so in in one section... What Paul does is he gives us advice to keep the church unified. Not in uniformity, but to keep the church unified. Here is his advice. But I say, we must walk in or by the Spirit. Now that phrase, walk by the Spirit, is a continuous action. And what Paul means there is we are to walk in the Spirit, and we are to keep on walking in the Spirit of God. Why should we keep on walking in the Spirit of God? It's because the Spirit of God does not produce a life that follows the desires of the flesh. Here again, Paul is answering that question. Does all this freedom in Christ, does all this talk about grace, does it produce a license to sin? Paul says absolutely not. Because if we walk by the Spirit, we will walk in a life that is pleasing to God. It will be a life of obedience. Now we have to remember brothers and sisters. And I think sometimes we forget about this because we don't. a lot of times we don't hear a lot of, of good sound teaching on the Holy Spirit. But according to Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 and other verses of Scripture in the Word of God, it teaches us that the Spirit of God lives in us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And because the Spirit of God lives in us, we are to be open and sensitive to the Spirit's influence on our life. You can read that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, where it says, God works in us through the Holy Spirit. And the third thing we need to remember, the Spirit of God lives in us. We are dealt and dwelt by the Spirit of God. We are to be sensitive to the influence of the Spirit on our life. But we are, we are to allow the Spirit of God to illuminate the Word of God so we can walk in obedience. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27, it says that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. It also says basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and, and what all this tells me is, is that the Holy Spirit is literally our counselor. The Holy Spirit is literally our guide. Now, I thought this afternoon, why do we go to a counselor? Why would we send someone to a counselor? Or a better question is, what is a counselor's task? And so what I did is I Googled it. What is the task or you know, what is the benefit of seeking out a counselor? And this is one definition that I kind of lifted out from a website. It looked like a reputable website. Um, and it said that counselors are to help us to be more effective versions of the people that we want to be. They are to help us to be more effective versions of the people that we want to be through guidance, insight, and understanding. And I have a little bit of difficulty with that definition. But let me just kind of use that and turn that around and apply that to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit counsels us to be more effective versions of the people that God wants us to be. You see the difference there? The counseling of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, counsels us to be more effective versions of the people that God wants us to be. You know, in what is it, Romans 8.29, it says that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, we, are, we are being conformed into Jesus. Those the, that's the people that God wants us to be. And if the Spirit is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, then we will not have a license to sin. We will not have a desire to be disobedient. Uh, we will not want to adhere back to a legalistic standard. And so the Apostle Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the good holy counsel of the Holy Spirit of God. And the second thing in closing, Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's how, that's one, that's one uh, way you can know that you're walking in the Spirit of God, is that you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to go to uh, 522. And let's just read the list of the, of the fruit of the Spirit one more time. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, against these things, there is no law. There is no limit. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. What is Paul telling us here? We are not to base our relationships on uniformity. We've talked about that. We are not to base our fellowship uh, by capitulating to other people's preferences. We shouldn't do that. Um, we do not base our faith community on accepting people who only agree with us. No. We relate to each other by the fruit of the Spirit of God. Let me read that again. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. In the body of Christ, we are going to have differences. We're going to have differences of opinions. Um, we're going to have preferences that, that, that are dear to us. But if we are, we are to seek unity in the body, we are to walk in the Spirit of God, we are to produce the fruit, allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit, and we are to relate to each other on that basis. On that basis. Not selfishness, not contention, not trying to devour each other or lay that blanket of uniformity on other people. But we are to relate to each other in accordance with the fruit of the Spirit of God. I don't think God expects His church um, to strive for uniformity. In the, in the fundamental essential doctrines, absolutely. But I believe that God desires for His body to be unified. And the only way that we can be unified as a body, a local body, the body of Christ as a whole, is if we walk in the Spirit and we relate to each other on the basis of the fruit of the Spirit. We are to love each other. Um, we are to take great joy in each other. We are to be at peace with each other. Um, here's a hard one. We are to be patient with each other. That's a tough one sometimes, isn't it? We are to be kind, not nice. To, we are to be kind to each other. We are to show our goodness to the Holy Spirit to each other. We are to be faithful. We are to be people that are gentle. We are to be people who are self-controlled. And against such things, there is absolutely no limit at all. What about you? Are you standing firm in the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ? I pray that you are. I pray that you are. I pray that you are living in the grace and the freedom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because He has truly set us free. He has set us free from the law's covenant. He has set us free from sin. He has set us free from Satan. He has set us free from the opinions and the preferences of other people. Brothers, He is truly, there is no freedom in the world like the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. I live in a free country. I pray that we'll uh, continue to live in a free country. But man, there, you know, the freedom of America cannot be compared to the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We are free in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you are standing firm in that freedom. And I pray that you're walking, walking by the Spirit of God. I pray that, that your walk in the Spirit is a continuous walking in the Spirit. And you say, Aaron, at this point in my life, I am not walking in the Spirit. I pray that, that you will repent of your sins and, um, and you'll ask God to forgive you and to re restore that right Spirit within you and you will continue to walk in the Spirit of God. I pray that you will do that. I pray that you will do that. And this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me just quickly say that we're not saved by works, and we're not saved by keeping any law. Um, if, there is absolutely no way that any of us can be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. I mean, on our best day, our, our best mindset, folks, we cannot do it. We cannot be saved by being good. It's only by putting our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and putting our faith and trust in the empty tomb, repenting of our sins, Asking Jesus Christ to save us and confessing Him as Lord. That's salvation. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'll bless your word. Galatians chapter 5. 
I pray, Lord, that you will just take it through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll implant those truths in our lives. And Lord, I'm, I'm walking away, Lord, with two truths, Lord. That we are to stand firm in the freedom that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, not only that, but I pray that we'll walk by your Spirit. Not by ceremony or ritual or rules or list. But Lord, I pray that we'll walk by your Spirit. And I pray that we'll allow your Spirit, Lord, to, um, to produce the fruit that comes through the indwelling of the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we'll relate to each other on that basis. I pray that we'll do that. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. I pray that you'll save them. Show them that salvation doesn't come through works or through goodness or morality, but only by putting our faith and trust in what your Son Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we'll walk therein. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.